Welcome, everyone. It's time to focus your attention and presence. Listen with an open mind. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Flying Sage podcast. This is your host, Michael. I'm really excited to share this episode with you as we actually thought we had lost the audio for this seminar. So today you will be hearing the audio from the Sex and Psychedelics seminar, which we hosted in Vancouver. I also want to give a special thanks to the sponsor for this episode, Dose Osmosis. They're a psychedelic company based in Vancouver. They believe in the power of psychedelics to improve wellness, and it is their goal to help you experience their benefits. I am super excited to be able to moderate for this evening on a subject that we all find so juicy. I mean, it's our first sold-out expansion seminar, which is super exciting. So you all got some naughty curiosity. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so how the evening is going to flow, uh, we're going to give an opportunity for our speakers to introduce themselves. And then we have some questions that we've prepared for this evening. And we'll be going for about an hour and a half. And then after that, we'll have a chance for all of you to ask questions. So I definitely encourage if there are certain subjects or if anything that the speakers here share piques your interest, Write it down so you can ask uh, when the opportunity arises. Okay, I'm going to pass the mic to uh, our first speaker, and she'll just introduce herself. Thank you, Gavo. <clears throat> My name is Angela Leong. I'm a sex therapist and a ketamine-assisted psychotherapist. I'm also a researcher in psilocybin and its effects in substance abuse disorders, so I'm a study psychotherapist there. I'm also the founder of An Elegant Mind Counseling. It's a niche clinic where we specialize in sex therapy and psychedelic integrated psychotherapy. And I'm really excited to be talking about today's topic. Thank you. My name is Daka Zigi, but I go by Zigi. And I'm a sex worker, sacred intimate. I primarily work with men, but I'm also working with all genders. And I offer kind of erotic massage, sacred intimacy, which is kind of more interactive, and then also doing psychedelic integration with body work and interactive touch on the table. And I'm also currently running Men in Touch, which is a group that facilitates groups for queer, cis, and trans men who are exploring touch and intimacy, and also the organizer of the Ignite Festival, which happens every year. So thank you. Hello, good evening. My name is Jess Rodwell. I am a somatic sex and intimacy coach. There goes my water bottle. I work out of my home practice working with individuals, couples, polycules on really just igniting more pleasure in their lives, working relationally in a more of like an experiential container as well in allowing people to really feel what 
intimacy feels like, what safety can feel like, uh, and I give them that really beautiful safe space and container to do that with myself. I facilitate workshops, retreats, etc., and I work out of my home practice as well as at An Elegant Mind. Hello, uh, I'm Daniel Klein. I'm a registered clinical counsellor. I've worked for many, many years with men and trauma, in particular sexual trauma. I used to be the executive director of the BC Society for Male Survivors of Sexual Abuse. And in more recent years, been working more broadly in, in sex therapy. I also work with Angela as the supervisor the clinical supervisor at her, her agency. And then I trained with Theracil, working with psilocybin and MDMA in psychedelic-assisted therapy. And yeah, really excited to explore this complex, controversial, exciting topic, this sort of, you know, all we're missing here is the rock and roll. And so <laughs> I'm really excited for tonight. Thank you. Quick round of applause for all the speakers. Ooh. The first question for this evening is quite a simple one, but why sex and psychedelics? Why? If your question is about why those two things together, the answer is why not? (laughs) Because one can enhance the other, right? As long as you know what you're doing. So my tantra teacher has told me that you might not want to mix it because... Tantra can call in dark energies to enter your field, and so can psychedelics. So there's, if you don't feel confident working in those spaces and you don't really know what you're doing, you might want to not want to mix those two things together. And the other piece is that you want to think about sex and psychedelics as being two different ways of accessing the same transcendent states with perhaps breath work and sex being a little bit more on the mild end of things. Whereas if you took a full dose of 5-MeO-DMT, for example, like you were just, you were not even a being, you were nothing, right? You were, there's no, there's no stop breaks there. So I definitely do not recommend mixing that one <laughs> with sex. Thank you. I feel like, you know, I think in this crowd, we're probably pretty comfortable with seeing psychedelics as a kind of ceremonial experience. And what I want to invite is is that sex can also be that kind of ceremonial experience. And when we enter into sex with that kind of awareness and intention, it can have the same kind of profound impact and shaping of our lives. I see ceremony as a space where we can enter into an altered state of consciousness. And of course, psychedelics take us there, but sex also has that potential. And so I feel like when we mix those two together, we're kind of in a very deep ceremonial state. And one thing I really love about sex is that it is deeply embodied. So it kind of keeps, you know, again, if if the person has worked through surface layers of trauma or whatever, but if they're actually in the experience, then they're really in their body. And so it's a great way to anchor the psychedelic experience. Both sex and psychedelics are working with altered states of consciousness, right? And we can really find those altered states of consciousness in in many different ways, including things like BDSM, Angela mentioned breath work, obviously ceremonial practices. And 
access to these altered states of, states of consciousness often do give us a capacity to find, work with and touch on different parts of ourselves that we otherwise may not have access to. And embodiment, like Zigi mentioned, is a really big piece in that, in feeling what's coming up in the body, what is awakening, if you will. And I like to... I've kind of put like three different categories that we'll be likely touching on this evening of looking at psychedelics after sex. So psychedelics to help with things like if there's been sexual assaults or working through these sorts of things. There is psychedelics before sex. So kind of, again, preparing yourself for the embodiment piece of it, working on what you're into, what you might like. And then obviously, which most people are probably thinking of, is psychedelics during sex. So how to actually heighten that experience in the, in the moment. And so I'm sure during this evening we'll probably investigate many of those different things. Yeah, I think the only piece I think that's been missing maybe from the, what's been mentioned so far is the very obvious problems that have existed around sex and psychedelics. And I think we need to acknowledge that that there has been, you know, very threatening to our movement to try and make psychedelics more mainstream. We've seen a lot of therapists crossing boundaries and having sex with clients during psychedelic sessions or after psychedelic sessions. And I think there is a vulnerability and a sensitivity around this topic, and it requires, I mean, doing psychedelic psychotherapy, being a facilitator for that, requires an extremely high level of ethics because you are, people are in a deep state of vulnerability. They're in a profoundly open place. Having sex with people also requires high states of ethics, which is why we're talking about consent in these profound ways. And, you know, there's been a huge revolution around that. And I just think that the combination of the two requires so much attention, care. And that's why I think it's so great that we're having an open conversation about this topic. Because it's just, yeah, there, potential for harm is there and the potential for confusion is there and there's so much shame and the potential for growth and beauty and connection is also there and so I'm just really excited that we're going to have an open conversation about this topic which is so important Thank you. All of those shares are really awesome to just start the framing of the conversation and I really like the model that Jess was sharing of before and during and after. So I have a, a different question, but I want to go into that because I think that'll frame it really beautifully. So let's talk about the before. Like, what are things to consider? What is your thoughts in regards to those, to including or even the thoughts that you might want to have before taking any substance and then potentially engaging in sex? So there, there's obviously the immediate before, which Gabo is touching on, which really does touch on consent, like, like Daniel mentioned. And again, similar when we're dealing with altered states of consciousness, consent is something that really needs to be discussed before ingesting anything. And it's really similar to sex as well. We end up in a heightened state of consciousness during sex. And so then asking for something else or let's try this this evening someone's not necessarily in the headspace to actually, you know, consent in a really good fuck yes sort of way, right? So there's the immediate yes piece, which I'm not going to talk much on because I think there's a hell of a lot more people here want to talk to, but really what I was touching on with that is kind of uh, utilising psychedelics in a way that um, allows us to 
find that level of embodiment that can happen during sex, even without psychedelics. So it's kind of opening up, like people talk about, you know, your portals and your this and that. With psychedelics, you're often accessing a state within yourself that's going to give you access to levels of embodiment that otherwise wouldn't have been there. I myself have had the very experience. My sexual awakening very much came after trying psilocybin for the first time. And what ends up happening is that afterwards, again, even if the sex doesn't have psychedelics involved, can be incredible and mind-blowing and take you to beautiful states even without the actual medicine being consumed that evening, let's say. I was kind of thinking more so along the lines of what are we healing and what are we dealing with that's getting in the way of having really ecstatic embodied sex. So my journey with psychedelics is that it really helped me work through energetically some of the relational trauma that I was accumulating in my body. And I remember there was this one time with ayahuasca, the first time I had drank it, there was literally an exorcism happening as the medicine Mother Io was trying to take the, she was trying to cut the cord of an ex-partner who couldn't say I love you for the two years that we were together. And somehow I thought that that was okay. And I thought that that was okay because of the way that my family raised me. I, they never touched me. They never said I love you. They never looked me in the eyes. And all they were concerned about was survival and money. And so I learned to choose partners that were going to take care of me and provide for me, but couldn't provide me with, like, the honey that I needed to really thrive in life. So I just want to differentiate in our conversation between, like, just two people who are partners or friends and just want to have sex and psychedelics together versus a therapeutic context with a client, because those are very two different contexts. So I'll, I'll speak more from the client-therapist point of view. I find Betty Martin's Wheel of Consent a beautiful framing model. I think, you know, consent is oftentimes misunderstood. It's oftentimes just about, okay, did you get your yes? Oh, no, you said no, you know. It's like, but to me, the real exciting or juicy part about consent is, does this person who I'm working with actually know what they want? And do they actually know their boundaries? Because it's one thing... You know, the, being able to state your desires and boundaries is actually like the higher level part of the journey. It's actually the, the self-reflection and the self-knowledge to know that, okay, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. And so Betty Martin's Wheel of Consent is a beautiful model in order to get people to voice their desires, to learn to act on their desires, to start expressing boundaries. And it, it really makes it much more experiential as opposed to just, okay, yeah, I'll be sure to say yes or no during you know, whatever happens. Yeah, I, I think the piece that's coming to me around this is just the huge potential in preparing for deep intimacy of psychedelics and the healing of sexual trauma. And I think some considerations that are coming up for me are like, how do we, as facilitators, make it a safe space to heal shame during psychedelic journeys? How do we make sex a safe topic for people to experience and talk about, especially when there's this concern around, oh, well, I, don't, I can't touch my clients, I can't be in contact if they have sexual feelings that's we can't really address that and so i really 
in my own work in that space, I always talk, I'm mostly working with men in the psychedelic space, but I talk about erections and how normal it is during a psilocybin journey to get an erection. Like, that's just normal. You might have sexual feelings. You might have experiences. And if we don't talk about that, then the shame sets in or they start to hide or they feel like they have to cover it up. Or what if they feel like they want to touch themselves and how do, let's have a conversation about that. What's okay? What's not? What are the limits? And also, you know, for them to know and to feel 100% in their bodies that I am not going to be part of their sexual experience, right? Like that the touch that I might give like on their shoulder or, you know, putting an arm around them if they're needing that, that there is no sexual content to that piece. And so this is what some of the frameworks that I think create the safety for the deep healing. It's both, you know, the embodiment piece that was brought up and also like how do we make it a safe space for them to talk about their sexual feelings, to talk about fantasy while they're under the influence and also, yeah, just if they, they do feel that sort of erotic energy that that's allowed like that's normal and that's beautiful thank you and just as we were venturing into this before a conversation i noticed there was this really beautiful split of talking about more interpersonal and then more of the clinical or therapeutic explorations is there anything that either of you two would like to mention on the more clinical side or vice versa on the more interpersonal side I'd love to talk quickly just about energetic orgasms because for me that's been like one of the most profound sexual learnings from psychedelics. Personally, I've just like, I'm studying Tantra. I find it a really beautiful practice. But I just think that psychedelics have taught me so much about how the body's capacity for other types of orgasmic experiences disconnected necessarily from genitals or erection, like that... I personally had some remarkable experiences. Combinations of psychedelics just led to like profound, profound states of sexual energy. And I, I, I would not be able to work with that energy without having that target state. So I just think that psychedelics are kind of magic for learning about sex if you invite them in. And if you invite that, which was the intention for that journey. Like, what are the limits to pleasure? I highly recommend, if you're going to do a psychedelic session, that's a great intention to go into it with. Like, how am I blocking my, my pleasure in the world? And just let the medicine help you to figure that out and see what else it shows you. Thank you. I'll go quickly. Yeah. So the only thing that really, I mean, all the things are coming up, but the one thing that's really wanting to speak itself right now is you very briefly mentioned Daniel intention and, you know, similar to what a lot of people talk about with psychedelic experiences, set and setting, really needing to be, you know, putting a lot of effort into that before an ex a psychedelic experience. It's a similar thing when it comes to sex and psychedelics in what is the mindset? So let's say it's a couple or you know even if it's self exploration but what is what are we wanting out of this what is the intention of this experience together is it to open our hearts and have a beautiful heart expansion experience is it to have your own kind of beautiful embodied ecstatic godlike merging sort of experience so 
kind of doing, sure, research, doing some research beforehand to check in with yourself. What is my mindset? What's important to me? What do I want out of this experience? And maybe even having that conversation if you're doing a similar thing with a partner beforehand, just so, you know, we're on the same page because someone could go into an experience being like, yeah, I just want to like have a cool, sexy, like crazy, fuckable like moment with you and... (laughs) Wow. And the other person is like, yeah, I really want to open and expand and drop deeper in our love connection together. And afterwards, someone's going to end up disappointed. So just kind of getting on that uh, mindset piece, I think, is what I want to add. I can speak to interpersonally. I think one of the beauties of psychedelics in any context is, is that they allow us to imagine alternate selves and alternate realities and they allow us to dream into who we could be and so there's this beautiful intersection then with sex because we so often fall into kind of certain roles during sexual play when we're with our usual partners and psychedelics are such a great way to be like what kind of energy do you want to embody and like so for example that could be you know playing with dom sub stuff it could be like daddy boy or daddy girl or it could be another beautiful one is like playing with different genders like just imagine you are the gender you were not assigned at birth and what kind of, how you can embody pleasure and sexuality in a different way and it's that can be a profound experience Mm -hmm. so as i was alluding to earlier i think that there is if we're talking about doing psychedelics before sex i think there's a lot of work in our in our personal development in, in each of us to kind of work on what's getting in the way of becoming this fully self-expressed, fully embodied person that's not afraid to ask for what you need without completely ignoring the fact that other people have needs, of course, right? But what I feel like what I'm trying to do clinically with my clients is to help them express their individualism within a relationship without, you know, because often people lose themselves when they enter a partnership or a lot of women, for example, especially they don't, they, they kind of forget how to be or who they are once they start entering into the relationship. They feel like they need to create this supportive role for their partner. So I've always been this advocate of individualism and I feel like what I'm trying to do in the clinical room is like to teach people how to express their truth. Thank you. Thank you all. And a piece that stood out when you guys were sharing is this piece around safety. And there was this sense of almost like relentless communication, like really not being like, oh, well, it's uncomfortable, so I'm not going to talk about it. So what are some ways that people can have those conversations? How... What are ways that you open up those conversations with your clients? And I just think for the audience, it'd be really beautiful to hear how a conversation like that could be started. How does one uh, create an environment of safety around it so that there's no um, combativeness, perhaps, or or just that um, disregard of even having the conversation? Well, it's very fortunate that as soon as you say you're a sex therapist or you have a specialization in sex therapy, people just tell you all about your, their sex lives, unprompted, mostly unprompted. But the level of detail, you might have to kind of poke around a little bit more, right? But it's a great thing that like, as soon as you put on your website, people just want to open up to you about their sex lives. 
Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that's really important is I'm assuming that in, for all of us is that when we're working with a client, this is already in the context of several previous sessions with this person where we've been in the, you know, the sober state of consciousness and we're obviously really exploring together, like, what is, where are you at right now? What's kind of like, where are you finding the joy? Where is the discovery? What's holding you back? And then it's through, you know, so it's time. I think that's just the main thing is just having a few sessions at least with a client before. And, of course, that just builds rapport and trust. So I think there's going to be plenty of really good answers specifically about working as practitioners with people, but I want to touch a little on as a couple or throuple or, you know, whatever your orientation is, uh, how to have these conversations ahead of time. Microdosing things such as... MDMA, psilocybin, ketamine, as we know, does act as an empathogen. We're opening up a little bit and we're able to really empathize and really drop into a heart opening space. So microdosing, say as a couple, you're like, yep, let's have a night. Let's, let's take a decent dose and just absolutely merge together. But again, how we have these conversations, it could be a, an evening of microdosing together just to open up a little bit and dropping into that conversation with each other together. And I say each other and I'm and I just see so much potential as well, just in relationally, it might just be it might not just be your your immediate sexual partner, but I think from like a consensual non monogamy perspective, if there are blockages with a metamorph, for example, again having conversations at a small microdose that just is a bit more heart expansive, great opportunities there too. Just one second. What is a metamorph? Thank you for asking. So in consensual non-monogamy, let's say, I'll just use examples here. So I'm seeing Daniel and I'm also seeing Zigi. They are each other's metamorph. Thank you. Yeah, I think a lot of beautiful, beautiful shares around this already. And the only thing I guess I'm thinking about is just solo work and the power of exploring on your own around your sexuality. So you could do that in a clinical setting with me and like talk about your sexuality, explore those things, and then you can also explore with psychedelics. I'd say start at a very low dose on your own. And that's a great way, like what about just taking cannabis and like spending some time exploring your body, just noticing what comes up journal about it, reflect on it. I mean, the idea of the flying sage is also to kind of get rid of people like me who are psychedelic facilitators and actually make this more available. And I do think that for many people, it is safe to explore slowly with low doses of medicines on their own and just to notice how it is to be in your body. Notice what it feels like to touch yourself in different places. What's coming up for you as you do that? Are there memories coming up? And then you can take that and do some integration work, whether that's on your own or with, with support. And I really think that slow approach, low doses, and, and just a lot of self-reflection around this will do a lot of work. And then getting together with groups and talking about this, having conversations around your sexuality more, so many of us still hold so much shame. And I think much of the work is just shed the shame, recognize the kind of thoughts and fantasies are actually quite normal, and then to get really comfortable with touching your genitals and that that's okay. 
right? Like, really okay. And for men, like, touch your butts. Like, that's okay. You're allowed to touch it. Like, that's really quite a beautiful thing. And so I would just invite us all to just use these beautiful tools to help us deepen our relationship with our whole bodies, not just our genitals, but our whole bodies, and recognize that sexuality permeates all of us and everything we do. Thank you, Daniel. Something that came to mind uh, with these shares is that some of the people out here might be wondering about which psychedelics, right? So I would love to jump into perhaps the psychedelic that you guys have the most experience with or that have worked with clients the most and um, just describe perhaps how you go about in considering which medicine you might use or with the one that you use the most, what are the things that you really think about, what are the things regarding things like dose or some of the other things like the set and setting that we talked about specific to the specific psychedelic. So I've worked quite a bit with psilocybin and I do think that there is an erotic quality to this medicine and it does bring up a lot of like playful, fun, erotic exploration. I also think, so that is something where it can arise. It doesn't always. Sometimes you just feel nauseated and you don't want to touch yourself at all. And sometimes it's really not the, the point. And I think with all psychedelics, you don't get to choose what kind of journey you're going to have. And it's cool that I'm excited. We're going to do something on sexuality, but it might end up being about your mother, right? <laughs> and that's just the way it goes. So we just accept that. But I think that having the topic be a possibility is really relevant. Oh, sorry. I'll get closer. Get closer. The other one I'll mention, but maybe someone else will talk more about, is just 5-MeO-DMT, which has, I think, a beautiful potential to open up all of us like really like the full spectrum and I have had sexuality come up in, in some of those sessions and I do think it's quite a beautiful medicine for that and a very intense one very very intense and really like not, not something you jump into I've worked mostly with clients with very very low doses of 5-MeO-DMT and I found that profoundly helpful at low low to medium doses, you do not need to be blasted out of your mind. It's really not, the, not where most of the healing happens. Not in my experience. Yeah. So from a personal perspective, there it goes again. From a personal perspective, psilocybin's definitely my thing. I have had many, many beautiful solo experiences on psilocybin where, I, I mean... One, just from the weekend prior, I had a beautiful 500 milligram truffle from one Dr. Ivan Castleman up the back there. (laughs) And I just, I positioned my, to be fair, again, we need to take setting into context. I was a room full of women exploring BDSM together. Shout out to the girls in the room. And I just, I just threw myself in the corner by the speaker and the music moved through me and the energy moved through me and the orgasms moved through me in my pussy in my heart like super super expansive moments with my own energetic arousal energetic orgasms in many many different forms personally so that's my go-to personally one thing that you know Gabo did ask about you know what medicines for what thing in particular I wanted to touch on briefly the concept of 
attachment styles. Ange mentioned a level of like codependency and enmeshment in relationships using psilocybin and, and different sorts of medicines that are like your own experience and figuring yourself out and getting in touch with your own parts uh, can be really beautiful. And then you're uh, potentially someone who is um, more on the avoidance side and really struggling to open up heart-wise, right? Obviously MDMA, 2CB, the likes, a small doses of ketamine in the smallish doses can open enough to have those sorts of conversations. So that's all, that's all I wanted to touch on specifically on that. In addition to what's already been said, I want to recommend 3MMC, which has been a beautiful medicine for me because what I've found is that it's like I can take my cognitive mind into my sexual experience and I can still be very deeply into the sexual experience. So it's not like usual in sex where you're like, oh, I need to like get out of my head and just like focus on like what's going on. It's like actually it just comes along with me and it goes for the ride and it's great for processing like, wow. So when I'm giving a blowjob, like that's what's happening. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's been great for me <laughs> um, I, we need to talk about MDMA MDMA I think is the one that's really amazing for healing attachment wounds and any sort of triggers that are coming up relationally for you I remember my experience with it I was at Burning Man it was like already a really stressful environment it was like very dusty that day it was very hot I had just finished a volunteer shift and was like doing some boob cleanup meaning meaning I was like picking up like people who drop cigarette butts and their sparkles and feathers and things off of the playa floor because one of the rules is that you can't you're not supposed to leave a trace at Burning Man so I'm kind of stressed out and I'm frazzled because of this whole experience with trying to clean up the desert in like the middle of the blazing sun and like my lover who oh my gosh he was so hot he was so beautiful and we had such like a yummy juicy little like massage exchanges through our clothes and our shoes like but it was just like the yummiest thing and he pulled me aside and he's like he's like oh I want to close the loop on something with you and I was like okay and and then he sits me down and he says I think I love you and I kind of started to freak out in that moment not knowing how to receive that and I couldn't calm down there was no amount of like hugging each other soothing each other that was working. I was in too much of a hyper arousal state. And I even I even went back into my tent and I tried to take some kava, which is an anti-anxiety herb. It didn't help. And so finally I decided like, you know what, I think I have to try it. This isn't this is a job for MDMA. <laughs> <laughs> and so I I took it later that day or morning or whatever time it was, right? <laughs> And I, and I bumped into him again and I said to him, like, look, I really want to redo that conversation because I don't think I should have responded that way, right? I wish I could have responded to you in a way where I could fully receive you rather than respond with fearful, confused anxiety about that. And it was beautiful. We had a beautiful heart-open conversation. We really healed that situation and kind of moved on from it. Just want to quickly touch on one point around MDMA, which is worth knowing if you've never done it. It can affect your erections, and it's good to know that. And that's beautiful because sex isn't just about erections. And it's really, really a profound thing to discover how beautiful the sex can be even when you're not getting hard. 
So I encourage it, and I encourage it for that reason in some ways. I actually also wanted to add, again, talking about these um, beautiful ways of heart opening and heart expansion, which a lot of people in the world really do need. Uh, It's worth touching on that if you are in a relationship already that is potentially getting to a point of abuse or getting close to abuse, a heart expanding medicine with a partner is maybe not something you want to consider because it could allow you and open you up to commit deeper to a person or attach deeper to a person and it's definitely worth keeping in mind if you're in a relationship where you're just not sure if that's what's happening yeah i just wanted to add half a gram of mushrooms and sex is like the god experience (laughs) thank you (laughs) how to have sex with god amazing i think uh, we're ready to go into the act now (laughs) to go into uh, sex during and what are things to consider you know you you guys already introduced some of the substances as well so perhaps you can speak through the lens of that specific substance because I imagine that different substances have different things to consider and some of them might be similar as well so psychedelics during sex and Okay, psychedelics during sex. You should definitely have the consent conversation in advance. You should have the conversation about what are your boundaries, or there's some absolute no's, right? What's your STD history? And you want to have that all in the clear so you can feel like you can fully surrender to this person because that's the state that you're trying to achieve. Really good sex is fully surrendered sex. And you want to be able to ask your partner very explicitly, for example, like, can I make love to you? And that's how explicit it should be. You know, viewing this kind of through a queer lens, you know, one of the beauties of coming from the queer universes is that we were given this invitation to rewrite sex. You know, we don't have to follow the standard scripts. And I really invite, you know, one way, one simple way to kind of break through. Because when we think of, like, psychedelics and sex, many of us probably have this idea of what's happening. And I just want to say that penis and vagina sex is, like, one very narrow path. And there's a whole universe to be exploring that's outside of that. And like Daniel said, that can happen with a soft cock. It could be, like I said, playing with gender fuck embodying like I've just like been like okay I'm gonna channel my inner pussy right now and I'm just gonna like I I'm gonna find it you know but one way of of helping to break those because those habits are so strong you know it's just like we just we fall into those habits because that's what we do is to create structure around splitting up time into giving and receiving time so whether it's one like a partner or I've done it in trios where you have you know two people paying attention to one person and just being given that license to kind of be the center of attention to ask for what I want to really dive into my pleasure and to not have to worry about oh are they enjoying this or you know like what are like do I have to do something for them too and it's like well we're splitting up the time so I know that I'm going to have a portion of time where I'm really devoted to you and right now this is my time to be receiving so really to get into that space of receiving exactly what you want moment to moment it's a profound place and that can just look like anything. So it, it really, there is no script around that. 
Yeah, I absolutely love that point of like the rule book of sex is completely thrown out the door. <laughs> you make whatever you want of it. Um, what I want to touch on in this uh, in this space of sex <clears throat> on psychedelics is I like to use BDSM as a uh, a good kind of like they can kind of learn from each other. Sex on psychedelics and BDSM they can really learn a lot from each other in the kind of container that's created with BDSM. Again, talking specifically around consent, BDSM, a lot of the time people are writing whole contracts on what scenes can look like and what's involved in those scenes, right? So similarly, what do we want to do? And again, I touched on this earlier. Once we're in that altered state of consciousness, your capacity to consent dwindles. So really pre-negotiating what we would be up to exploring while we're in the middle of the experience because something like anal sex might be something that, you know, when you're taking something like cannabis or MDMA and, and it's really relaxing you and you feel relaxed and there's a good chance you might have more of a capacity to try anal sex with these things, it's probably not something you want to all of a sudden in the middle of, of your experience be like, hey, so you're feeling good, right? Like afterwards there can be some regret and shame that can come out of that. So again, creating that container beforehand and kind of like setting the scene as well, whether it be with ceremony like you mentioned and, and oh my God, aftercare. Aftercare, everybody in the room. I was going to say ladies and gentlemen, but all genders, aftercare. We could really learn a lot from the BDSM scene around how to really check in with your partner. What do you want afterwards? How can I show up for you emotionally, physically? Do you need water? Do you need food? Etc. Etc. That aftercare piece is really important when it comes to psychedelics as well as BDSM. And while I'm still on that topic, one thing that because it's, I'm talking BDSM psychedelics, sex on psychedelics, it's very much worth considering that your pain threshold is going to be increased while you are on psychedelics. So you want to consider that you probably don't want to be pushing right to the edges because you might go past an edge for yourself that you otherwise wouldn't have if you were sober. So again, that pre-negotiating piece, because all of a sudden impact player can be like, yeah, keep going, fuck yeah, keep going, oh yeah, let's do this, right? And then afterwards we end up covered in marks that may not have been in the negotiated agreement beforehand, right? Yeah. I think my own view around psychedelics is just that these are sacred medicines. They're really here for us for healing, or if they're here for us for any particular... I don't know if they're here for us. But they're, <laughs> they have their own agendas. They have their own thing. We can be playful with them, but I do think that there is a real opportunity here with them for as profound healers and as profound teachers. And, you know, have fun, be frivolous if you want. And my own personal view is that, like, there is a value in being serious around this kind of stuff, that it's profound, that done sparingly, it is so powerful. I also really advocate for playing with clothes on, like, you can have amazing experiences without getting naked. Um, you can also, I really think, like do some solo work. It's so beautiful to really develop your own solo sexual practice. And I just think this is the place also where we have the time 
to process the feelings that come up. Because once we get into the interpersonal realm, and especially under psychedelics, we're worrying about what the other person's thinking, and we're having all this, like the potential for it to go really complex and to be really difficult, especially because we often don't have a facilitator in that space who's going to hold the space for you if you have a breakdown or whatever. It's just, it's just a lot. It's a lot. And so go slow, have reasonable boundaries. Don't push necessarily right off the bat unless you're feeling really confident and you've, you've had a bunch of experiences. And just remember, it's, at least in my opinion, really profound and sacred. And we own, you know, we're getting these amazing experiences and they're huge opportunities. And I think as we do them more and more, they, like, they don't, those first few experiences are very profound. I'll just say that. Yeah. Thank you all. Um, on that note, while we're in the subject of sex during psychedelics, um, or perhaps we could say pleasure experiencing during psychedelics, or in the context of the, like a clinical setting, would there be anything different that as practitioners you might consider? Of course, there's the boundary line that's a lot stricter, perhaps, but is there any other considerations that are perhaps a little bit different from interpersonal? So, so yeah, for me, I think one of the key like red flags that I am looking out for when I'm engaging with a client is are they falling in love with me? And I want to be really careful with that because it's something that can be subtle and it's something that can build up over time and if I'm not watching for it, it can end up creating a lot of hurt feelings. So kind of like front-loading that with them, just like being like, hey, you know, this is an experience. Sometimes it happens. You fall in love with somebody. You're just like, oh my God, this person is radiant and beautiful and they're the most amazing person I've ever met in my whole life and I want to spend the rest of my life with them. And it's like, that might happen and that's a beautiful experience. Like, how beautiful to get to experience that and we need to know that it's not a, it's just a beautiful thought. It's a beautiful fantasy. And we're just going to sit with that fantasy for a while. We're just going to, like, feel into it. Like, what's the feeling in your body? What are your, like, you know, what are the memories coming? You know, whatever. You just kind of sit with that feeling and, and explore it mindfully without trying to reject it because you don't want to suppress that feeling and make them feel shame for that. But at the same time, it's like, okay, like, this is just a temporary state of consciousness. So. I actually don't know what your question was, but I'm just going to riff off of what Daniel said about taking the precaution. None of what I say is clinical advice. I'm just speaking from my own experiences. <laughs> and I, I do think that there is a level of caution for sure. Like the traditionalists do say that we shouldn't mix these two things together because, and there's several reasons for that. If you're not familiar with breath work, you might not know how high that could take you. And if you're doing breathwork for the first time and you're mixing that with the psychedelic, well, you can get into a psychotic state. I've seen it happen before. It's, it's, very, it's difficult for everyone around you to observe and watch. And then it's, you know, you're kind of changing. You're not, you haven't agreed to something that you thought was going to happen. So there's always that level of awareness that you need to have. And especially if you're using tantric practices where you're connecting in that way, 
of unification of like the masculine and feminine, for example, the Shakti and Shiva, and all these practices that are meant to awaken the chakra energies and to like connect you with divine consciousness. Like you also don't know how high that could take you. And if you're mixing that with psychedelics, and if you've never done those two things before separately, then you can get yourself into a lot of trouble. Okay, beautiful. So, aftercare. What is the process afterwards? What are the things to consider? And what's important? What are things not to do? I think aftercare is really important even if you're having sex without psychedelics. It would, it's really nice to be able to sit down with your partner and just have a little meditation or a little cuddle, a little silent meditation, a little cuddle, or to process what may have come up for, for each other. Like maybe there was an emotional response. Sometimes people cry out of pleasure or cry out of like how beautiful and profound that experience was. And sometimes you can have a download happen to you during sex, especially if you're mixing it with a microdose of something, people can have profound realizations from coming, stemming back from childhood as to what's going on in their personal life right now. So I think it's important to spend that time just connecting with your partner and seeing what came up for each of you. I don't like this word aftercare. <laughs> Why are we only caring about each other after? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm a big believer in um, building in breaks into play. So it's like the aftercare, but it's happening in the middle. So, you know, I think a lot of us, perhaps especially men, but I don't know, we have this fear that if we let go of the thread of arousal, that it's going to be gone forever. And I don't want to let go because this is so good. Especially men with their erections, you know. It's like, oh, if I give it up now, it's going to be gone. <laughs> and that's just bullshit. Like, it's just 100% bullshit. And, it's, and the beauty is, is that the next round is even better. Like, with or without an erection. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about letting yourself go through cycles, you know. Like, the nervous system is built to, to work psych cyclically, like if we're just going for this like constant, okay, I'm amplifying, I'm getting higher, this is too good, I can't look, like that's just such a linear and one-dimensional journey and what psychedelics and tantra are inviting us to do is to experience the, the beauty of the peak and also the deep bliss of the valley and so don't let that go, like that is the opportunity, so... That's my aftercare. <laughs> I love that. I think, again, ZG's already touched on aftercare can kind of come during and after. When I mentioned after, psychedelics after sex, when I mentioned that earlier, kind of when I posed that model, I was talking from a different perspective. So, again, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity to, from everybody else to talk about aftercare specifically. So I'm actually going to talk about the intention I meant when I spoke of utilising psychedelics after sex and I'm kind of talking to where there may have been, there may have been cheating in a relationship, there may have been sexual assault, even going back much, much earlier. And I talked to the 
the opportunities we can find utilizing psychedelics to help process these things, processing where there's been sexual assault to feel that like removing the shame, removing the, 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 like that was me, I did it, there was something that I had to do with this and really helping people come into really just knowing that wasn't them. In addition, I talk of things like cheating and where there's been harm because of sex and, again, where psychedelics can really help people open up to having conversations in more of a regulated state and being able to empathise with each other. And I know there was so much more, but my brain is full of all the ideas, my God. I'll hand over and I'll think while while you're at it. Yeah, of course, and it can come back to you for sure. I think... You know, this, this idea of the, the aftercare is super important, of course. After, if we're doing, I'm assuming it's not a clinical session with me because that doesn't happen, just to be clear. But if to, a couple were doing that together or, or someone was doing a solo session where they were doing that, to have people that you can go to to talk about what comes up. Because when you do psychedelics, you are inviting stuff to come up. So it's probably not just going to be about the pleasure because that's not usually where you need to grow, although sometimes it is, and I've had those experiences too, and those are great. But I do think having people to process with, having people to share with, having a community, having a, you know, if you need it, knowing therapists are out there who specialize in this area and can work with you around that, and maybe just, you know, make sure you resource yourself really profoundly if you're going to delve into the complex waters of inviting these two profound teachers at once to to mess with you because they will and they're both profound sexuality and eros is profound it also has plenty of dark side to it psychedelics are profound they invite dark side stuff as well to show up Usually the second time, the first time they're really nice, and then the second time they invite the dark side to show up. Anyway, do you have anything more? Thank you. So before we move on to perhaps some more of the clinical aspects of this work, I just wanted to ask you if you have anything else that you wanted to touch on in regards to the before, the during, the after that we haven't talked about yet. One thing I want to touch on that I think Zigi would probably be able to talk to a lot better, but something that just came across my awareness that I think is definitely worth touching on is the use of psychedelics that can help with where there might be gender dysphoria for people because psychedelics can give you that like out-of-body experience and where you're experiencing gender, it can be really confusing in your day-to-day in really understanding and accepting this body that you're in. So psychedelics can really open up that experience to just kind of releasing that confusion that might be there. But, I mean, you work with the industry, you might be able to talk to more, but that was definitely a topic I really wanted to also bring up. I'm just part of my ignorance, but could you describe gender dysphoria? Gender dysphoria essentially is where I, for example, am born with female genitalia and the body of a female. And if I am actually identifying as male or non-binary, gender dysphoria is that kind of the confusion of the body that I am in versus what I identify as. Yeah? Yeah. Acute distress. Acute distress to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, all I would add to that is just that if a client's dealing with like that level of confusion, gender dysphoria or distress, et cetera, is like this is not the time to necessarily be entering into like sex and psychedelics. It's like there's probably a lot more processing that can be done before really entering into that space in a good way. So I think part of it is just like in general is just like screening. Like, how good is this person at advocating for themselves? How good is this person at setting boundaries? Even just in a regular, they show up at my door and we're sober and like, are they able to even just ask for like something? Some people will never ask for anything. You, and you just sense it in them. They're just like afraid or they're unable to. And it's like, oh, okay. So I'm just energetically kind of like picking up like, okay, this is where we're at. Is this appropriate? Do you, am I, am I, it's really about, my, am I going to trust you? I mean, usually we think about, oh, the client has to trust me because I'm the one in power. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I have to trust you. I have to trust that you're going to tell me when it's too much or you're going to tell me when, you know, whatever. So it's like, that is just as important. It's really a two-way street. Um, I just want to add to the before doing psychedelics before sex, you're learning, like, why? Why do we do psychedelics before we embark on a very rich and rewarding sexual life? Is that we want to learn mindfulness skills. That's what psychedelics can teach us. And it could definitely enhance our sex lives if we're learning through psychedelic plant medicines how to have a mindfulness practice. Because good sex is mindful sex. You want to be in the present moment. You want to be in your body. You want to drop every outside influence. You don't want to be thinking about what you're going to have for dinner later, what time it is, or your appointment later, having to open the door for someone, whatever. Good sex is mindful sex in the present moment. So you're learning that when you're doing psychedelics before having sex. And you're also learning to deal with any body image issues. I had a client said that told me that she had one session with psilocybin mushrooms and it completely erased all of her body shame and she was able to kind of be really comfortable in her body and that's kind of what embodiment is about it's just like loving your body being comfortable with it like feeling the pleasure being able to feel pleasure in your body and speaking of which moderate amounts of 5-MeO-DMT lots of pleasure it was like this tantric oneness with the universe level of pleasure (laughs) The afterpiece came came back to me finally. One practice that I think can be really beautiful for couples, polycules, after a beautiful... Uh, throuples. Um, after an experience is, again, when, we, when we're coming back together, talking about what sex we like. Uh, often people are just kind of doing the sex that moves through them, but having those conversations around what kind of sex I like to have. A lot of people talk about Jaya's blueprints, whether you're like sexual and primal, if you're a spiritual, you probably are if you're taking psychedelics. There are many different forms, but obviously kink, role play, etc. Having those conversations with a partner afterwards, after we've had this experience, oh, I really liked it when you actually got a little bit weird and kinky and started like sucking on my nose and wouldn't let me breathe or something like <laughs> talking about 
about these sorts of things afterwards as a couple to kind of build your hottest sexual movies going forward, like how we want to build our sex lives together going forward. And one other piece I kind of wanted to touch on that psychedelics can really help with is decompartmentalizing our sexuality. Right, So for a lot of people, our sexuality is, okay, well, there's someone naked and now there's genitals and so now I'm horny and now it's sex. We want to kind of decompartmentalize that so sexuality can kind of be in our everyday, right? Something like psilocybin, we're more connected to nature. So how is running our fingers through a beautiful mossy tree, how is that erotic? How is, how is spreading the petals on a beautiful peony or rose and fingering a flower? There she is. <laughs> My eco-erotic friend over there is like, that's me. right how can we bring the erotic I mean how can we bring sex into the everyday and I feel like psychedelics often give us the capacity to decompartmentalize in that way yeah I think the one piece I wanted to touch on was just like being mindful around the intensity that can come with mixing substances with sexuality and that yeah like just be respectful of your dopamine receptors right like it can get really intense and a bit and maybe a bit overwhelming and also we can get really hooked on high high states of arousal and this can numb us to some of the more subtle experiences and so if you notice yourself like oh i'm starting to always need cannabis if i want to you know experience pleasure that's probably because you're starting to numb out some of the more subtle forms and so just like be aware of that that's not that's Subtlety is very beautiful. Learn, using these tools for you know discovering um, target states like oh it's I could be so embodied I could be so present my body has all these capacities for erotic experience and maybe we can do those also without a substance and that the potential is there if you can do it with a substance that you can probably do it without because it's your body doing it. It's not the substance. And so just remember, like, maybe have a profound experience and then spend some time working with your body to get sensitive enough that you can have that without the medicine because the medicine is just there to teach you about yourself and what's possible, I think. Just one thought that came to me. If you want to have a graduate-level experience, watch the porn you normally watch on psychedelics it is you will learn a lot about yourself awesome thank you for all those points I wanted to briefly go into perhaps the more clinical side of this conversation so the first question I have are any of you aware of any specific research being done around sex and psychedelics So specifically around measures of whether people have more sex or have improved in erectile dysfunction, for example, or have shown some sort of improvement in like vaginal pain disorder or something like that. There isn't anything specific to that, like sexual dysfunction 
and psychedelic research, but we do know that your mood is very very connected to whether or not you're even going to have sex to begin with. So if you're depressed, you're not going to be having sex. You're not be you're not going to be very motivated to have sex. Sex is going to be the last thing on your mind. It's definitely one of the questions that would qualify you for major depressive disorder. Are you having sex or not having sex? So people who have major depressive disorder are not interested in sex, but they would like to be. And anxiety. If you are anxious, chances are the blood is not flowing to the right places. The blood is not going to be flowing to your groin area, so you're not going to be able to mash bits. And people think, and, and then this is why a lot of people say that sex is overly genital focused because we need to teach people how to spend time working on other aspects of the body and other aspects of connecting before they go and mash bits. So we watch porn and we think that that's all that sex is about. But often what the porn doesn't show is all the hours before that that people spend with eye gazing, connecting heart to heart, connecting energetically, connecting via the soul, and... And with the foreplay, one of the most popular interventions in sex therapy is called sensate focus. It's actually inspired by tantric practices. And that involves, it's, it's multiple steps. So it involves first, like, initially touching each other with clothes on. You take turns doing this. So one partner touches for their own self-interest and the other partner touches for their own self-interest. So this takes away that performance aspect of it. You're not supposed to be performatively receiving, and you're not supposed to be performatively giving. It's about touching from a place of your own interest. So initially it's with clothes, and then it goes like without clothes and so on and so forth, right? And my point is that these things are teaching us to kind of be present with the whole individual from a place of like your own perspective rather than doing it for the other person. So psychedelics can teach us how to do that. So specifically on research on sex and psychedelics, the I believe it was the, the 2022 Global Drug Survey is has a lot of topics on sex and psychedelics. From what I understand, those sorts of results aren't out yet. There is a, I actually don't know their gender, but there is a person in uh, the University of London, Dr. Alex Aldridge, who is part of that global drug survey specifically around sex and psychedelics. And they are posting a lot online on social media and the likes around what sorts of initial results are coming out of that, which is exciting. But historically, unfortunately, any sort of research on sex and psychedelics has been about the bad side, the shadow side, and the precautionary parts of it you know you'll see a lot of stuff around chemsex and like the risks of that there's a lot of marginalizing lgbtqi plus communities around their use of, of of psychedelics and sex so unfortunately there just isn't a lot yet specific to the the pleasures and the positives and and the opportunities i guess if you will on sex and psychedelics but it looks like global drug survey has that in the works at least yeah, I don't know a ton more about research apart from in the realm of addictions and just that there's a lot of looking at particularly things like MDMA and people who do struggle with substance use around MDMA, around you know other intense substances like meth and sexuality. And there's some really interesting and complex aspects to the use of substances and sexuality and just that, that point that I'd spoken to, right, like of being 
attuned to the fact that you can burn your body out and you can get hooked on certain you know states and that pleasure especially when we're missing something right and so i would just say like be aware of your your own addictive patterns if you're getting into this and like address the cause address the trauma and psychedelics are a great way to do that but be attuned to like how we can also escape from that kind of work into pursuit of pleasure just for pleasure's sake which is good but also like like address your traumas Thank you. On on that note, I'm I'm really curious about way what co- one could objectively assess the progress of a person, and this doesn't have to be specifically objective measures. But perhaps what are qualities that you have seen in people that you have worked with in in sex therapy with the use of psychedelics? Of course, you don't have to share any identifiable features, but I'm sure people would love to hear specific stories because, you know, we often find ourselves relating to stories a bit more. Yeah, I mean, the only context in which I've had sexuality come up is men having erections and talking about fantasies during psychedelic sessions. And those have been profound experiences for those men to say things that they maybe have never said to another person, and the psychedelics helped them to speak about that experience. The other thing, you know, is a more painful part of the the journey, which is for the healing of sexual trauma. Sometimes you will see a person during a psychedelic session experiencing and re-experiencing the trauma. Usually that's in a healing way of the body releasing, but that can be very graphic, right? And that can be an intense experience to be present for, but also I have seen profound healing for trauma, sexual trauma take place in psychedelics with clients that I'd worked with for seven, eight years just with talk therapy and one or two sessions with MDMA were like so transformative of them as a a person, their ability to show up. I remember one client who we had never shook hands or touched and during the session I was his father receiving him from the birth canal and he asked me to you know put his head in my lap so I put a pillow and was holding this man and he said could you please brush my hair and stroke and this was we had never touched before this psychedelic session there was another therapist there I felt safe to do this for him and it was he was a completely different person after that experience so that really did it just changed the way I thought about the potential for healing sexual trauma, right? And the ways that people are blocked around connection and touch and how beautiful these medicines can be. Can I actually get you to repeat the question, please? Yeah, of course. The question, I described it in a bit of a convoluted way, but it was just around any specific uh, like positive results that you've seen in people you've worked with while using psychedelics for a session specifically. I personally don't work yet with clients with psychedelics, so I'll probably pass that on. I would say the most common client I work with is people who are usually just come and say, you know, I'm anxious, it's hard for me to access pleasure. And then, you know, you just dive into that and, you know, feeling into the anxiety. And a lot of times 
with the population I'm working with, a lot of time is some sort of internalized homophobia or some sort of rejection experience that they had at some young age, either by peers or parents or family. And so, I mean, of course, the medicine in that case is, you know, I think this is what makes queer sexuality and queer trauma a little different because the very nature of our oppression and the very nature of our our wound is that we were denied sexuality. We were denied the ability to be sexual beings, to be in a sexual universe that we felt a part of. And so that's what I'm offering then is, is okay, well, you were denied that experience at that age, but here we are in this space now where you do have access to this universe of pleasure, so let's play in this space. And so, you know, I would say it's just the regular things. People come away feeling more embodied, more grounded in their pleasure, more able to ask for what they want, and just less, oftentimes experiencing less anxiety around, like, what does sex mean? What are the attached narratives I have around this? And just being able to, like, access the pleasure without the baggage. I did have a prior therapist who used to work at the practice. His name is Taylor Olson, and he spoke of coming to terms with his sexual orientation via psychedelics. So he's really able to then own the fact that he was not straight after a very profound psychedelic experience. So, so yeah, just to go off of what CG said about queering psychedelics, there's also a really good talk on that as well. I did a training on queering psychedelics. I can share it with everyone afterwards. And as I said earlier, there was a client of mine who was dealing with some body shame stuff. And body shame, if you're not comfortable with your body, you can imagine that it can get in the way of like being present for having really awesome sex. So indirectly, yes that helped with the sexual functioning of this particular client, although that wasn't a conversation in the reason that she sought me out for therapy. But in our, in our very detailed clinical assessment when we do sex therapy, it is one of the questions, like, what was the religious trauma, the, the family conditioning, the societal conditioning that has led you to be where you're at now? And do you have body shame? How do you feel about your body? Does it get in the way of you have enjoying sex? All these sort of questions. And also your mother and your father. What were they like? <laughs> Thank you. Before we come to a break now, I just have one last question for each of you. And that is, why do you do what you do? What is your why in this work? And if you want, you can add a little message to the masses. I have always enjoyed having sex, even as like a very young person. I probably started having sex way too early. I was 14 years old. And I had this like alter ego identity in my head as being this slut. And I have talked about this in my social media before that I want to reclaim that word, slut, as to not mean something negative because that was something that was used very often when I was in high school to kind of put someone down. But I was pretty comfortable like enjoying sex at a pretty young age. I didn't have, or like I think my first orgasm was when I was like 18 or something. So I had it pretty early on. I didn't struggle with that either. And I just really enjoyed being a pleasure advocate. I used to do actual activism, which is like marching down the street kind of activism around anti-Asian hate. And I realized that, you know what? 
I think I much rather prefer being a pleasure activist. Let me just like teach people how to be in their most pleasurable self, and that's going to be the activism which changes the world and like stops war and stops us from hating each other. And like if if we can just learn how to open up our hearts a little bit more and to really be in that deep intimate space long enough to heal some really ugly shit. I think that is what the world needs to deal with the shit that it's in right now. I mean, I can't help but to comment on like the thing that's hap- the thing- things that are happening in Israel and in that area and I think part of the work is I, I think this topic is like really fun and silly and like joyful to talk about sometimes, but it is serious heavy lifting. Like Daniel and I, Daniel actually used to be my practicum supervisor at BC Mill Survivors of Sexual Abuse, and I was his practicum student. That's how we know each other. And when these tools are not used correctly, it can cause some serious damage to people's souls. And having sat in those circles holding space for those men who have been survivals of sexual abuse, like I think the thing that resonates with me most deeply is like how similar that I can feel to them in their feelings of like loneliness in the home. And I think that's what really hit it for me is like this is what why I'm doing this work. Thank you. I'm going to quote, uh, go riffing off of you, I'm going to quote um, James Broughton, who's a, a queer activist and poet who's no longer alive, but he says, man must love man or war is forever. So for me, I, I find my war, you know, I definitely identify more, like 95% of the work I do is without psychedelics because like we've already discussed, sex itself is such a profound mind-altering state in and of itself and you know there's something about I think this comes kind of from my understanding of Tantra which is around like getting people connected to their life force which in sexuality it's kind of like this distillation of our life force that we can experience temporarily and it's like really connecting into that then then I'm operating from a place of meaning, purpose, energy, beauty, grace, strength, power, love, getting people connected to that root, which is, you know, in your pelvis, is such a, that's my mission, and getting people to share that with one another, kind of like one of you said, is like, we're trying to write ourselves out of a job here. (laughs) So I have a confession to make. I am sitting on a panel talking about sex and psychedelics and the first time I tried psychedelics was four years ago. I actually grew up in an environment, Australia is very, very anti-drugs, in a household where I was very much bought into the fear-mongering around drugs and psychedelics and I spent 10 years, almost 10 years in a heterosexual monogamous marriage that was pretty unfulfilling and when I had mushrooms for the first time it wasn't long after maybe six months after I separated from my ex-husband and in those four years since I have had this full-blown sexual awakening that has resulted in me doing this work 
So when I talk about things like having full body orgasms to music by myself just on on a little 500 milligram truffle, this isn't because I am some fucking tantrika who has been studying for 15 years and has cultivated. Like, yes, there has been a lot of growth and cultivation in my life in these last four years, but the reason why I really do this work is because I now see the expanse of my sexuality as a queer, kinky, polyamorous person who (laughs) was in a heterosexual monogamous relationship that was mostly sexless. So... For me, doing this work, I want to help. Uh, I want to help the muggles into the wizarding world. <laughs> I want to help people discover themselves, their sexuality, and embrace the part of them that they've maybe suppressed for a really long time. Yeah, these are beautiful shares, and yeah, I just we'll just add. I, I think it's a profound honor and privilege to get to work with people in the realm of sexuality. I love my work helping people to find more pleasure. I mean, it just is one of the most fulfilling and joyful things that I can do with my life is um, knowing that someone is going, you know, and exploring, you know, on their own or with partners in ways that bring more joy and beauty into the world. So I really, really value my work. And then with psychedelics, I was dragged into it by my trauma clients. They really were, I had no real interest. I was like, oh, yeah, you can go see a, a psychedelic facilitator. And they said, no, I've been working with you for seven years. I want you to be the one to do this. And I was like, oh, I don't think this is totally kosher right now. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm allowed to do that. And then I went into training in it because with Theracil, which is a, an amazing agency, and through that work, I've just seen profound changes in the work I've done around trauma. And then now I've, you know, working with more and more clients who are looking for the power of these medicines to, to connect us to our bodies in a different way. And I really do think they're totally a, a transformative therapeutic tool, a tool for healing, which, yeah, it's just the potential is profound. It's not a heal-all for everything, but it is, for certain things, really freaking powerful. Like, it really does. I've just seen that, the power of that clinically. So, and then the last piece I'll just mention, because she's in the room, Kristen Novakowski has, is my Tantra teacher, and just the profound learnings I've had from her about embodiment, about how we can relate in the realm of sexuality and sacredness. And I love sharing that with clients. And I think more and more I find myself bringing these elements of tantric teachings into my clinical work because of their potential to take us from our heads and into an embodied experience of deep, deep, profound intimacy. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, can we get a round of applause, please? Such, such beautiful shares from all of you. I'm so glad we finished on that question. I saw it and I was like, this is the one. Um, we're going to have five minutes if you need to use the washroom, if you want to grab some water, and then we'll come back uh, for a Q&A. So if you have those questions, have them ready, and we'll be passing around the mic in just about five minutes. Beautiful.
So Gabby here is going to be passing around the mic to anyone that has a question. And you can ask the question directly to a specific panelist, or you can just ask it to the whole panel. So first I wanted to say how amazing it is to hear two of my favorite taboo topics being talked about at the same time by extraordinary people, so thank you very much. You teased a little bit about the BDSM thing, but I was wondering if you guys could expand a little bit more on the parallels between the non-ordinary states that we get when we take psychedelics and the non-ordinary states that are developed through BDSM and play. Great question, Dr. Castleman. (laughs) So, yeah, those altered states of consciousness that come about, obviously, in psychedelics, we kind of end up, we've talked a lot in that kind of like god-like trance you end up in like that trance state that takes you almost out of body but at the same time completely embodied impact play for example when you're receiving impact the the pain that is coming down on you and the need to really breathe into those sensations and the heightened state and trance state that it can put you in is very, very psychedelic. Like I have been in those, it's called subspace. Subspace is when you get to a certain point of just like, like you cannot really speak for yourself a lot of the time. And I myself have had a situation where I'd pre-negotiated what my boundaries were ahead of time with this particular dom and then while I was in subspace they did something in particular put put my fingers in their mouth that it wasn't a boundary that I'd set already yet ended up actually I realized in the moment was a boundary for me because these all guys are in erogenous zone so that was immediately hitting my pussy whereas I wasn't looking for any erotic arousal from that person so I was in a state where I couldn't say no. I couldn't be like, actually, can you please stop? Because I was just like, I was just jelly. So that one piece around, and that's why we always go on consent beforehand with sex and BDSM in particular, psychedelic sex in general, that subspace that can come and the parallels there. I mean, it can be fucking beautiful. Subspace is a very divine place to be and can come about with the likes of Shibari, which is Japanese rope bondage as well all these sorts of things I see those smiles up the back these two are my friends in BDSN so they're getting way too excited I'm going to pass over because there's way more for people to share yeah I think that that's a beautiful reminder of the necessity for check-ins and also the impossibility of doing consent perfectly right because you cannot know And I think the subspace analogy is just so powerful for talking about psychedelics and sexuality. Like, the things that make that safe are knowing your partner so fucking well that they, you really can anticipate their needs. And so when someone goes into an altered state like that, subspace, high on mushrooms, whatever it is, there's just so much potential for missing cues And so it takes a remarkable amount of attunement to be a sexual partner for someone in deep altered states. And I think also, like Ziji had said earlier, like make sure that your partner has a lot of capacity for speaking their mind and their needs. Most of us have huge blockages around actually speaking up and advocating for our needs. And that makes us really profoundly unsafe people 
to have sex with on psychedelics. So clear boundaries, strong ability to advocate for yourself. These are the prerequisites you would want and know that it's impossible to do perfectly. And the necessity for learning how to repair, learning how to negotiate afterwards and you know, heal these wounds, learn, learning how to check in, I think is really important. But yeah, I think the connection between subspace and the impossibility sometimes of advocating for yourself in these states is just, yeah, it's a warning and it's also an invitation into profound, profound attunement. What I can add is I don't have a lot of experience with BDSM, but if a client came to me wanting to explore that, just like anything, I would say we're going to do a few sessions of this sober. And in those sessions, you are teaching me what subspace is for you. Like, I don't think there is one subspace. I think it's different for different people. And so what is that for you? What does it mean for you? How do you access it? What are the pitfalls? You know, just basically exploring that space because I think that's maybe one misunderstanding people have a lot around BDSM is that actually the sub is actually guiding the experience. The sub is in control, really, even though it looks like the dom is always making the choices and deciding what's happening. But it's like fundamentally about that energetic relationship where the dom is reading the sub and really tuned into like, okay, I know this person so well, like you said, that I can read their body language and with imperfections as well, but yeah. Yeah, I would go back to the putting things on a scale sort of theoretical concept. I would put BDSM on maybe like the lighter end of like an altered state versus maybe you have then a pretty high dose of magic mushrooms that would put you in the middle and then you have ayahuasca and then you have fibromyalgia tea which completely knocks you out and shuts you out of this physical universe. And BDSM would be in the low medium sort of category of like state of altered consciousness and but if you think about it like a lot of things can alter your consciousness for example like being in flow with a task that you really enjoy like you can experience timelessness as well so the last thing i just want to talk about is this idea of like who's running the show and i think sometimes in kink scenes there is also the potential for having a profound experience of neither of you are running the show that like the dom is just doming and the sub is just subbing and the show is like the scene is running itself and psychedelics have a profound potential for helping us to get into those states of flow where you your identity dissolves and the thing is just doing its thing and i think medicine sessions are like that and certainly certain scenes are are like that and you don't even know what you're doing next or what, there's no plan anymore. It's just doing you. Just one more thing I wanted to add as a crossover between the two is power dynamics. And specifically when we talk about, you know, psychedelics with a space holder, with a therapist, somebody holding space for that. Just touching on, you know, the power dynamics and the differentiation between obviously a DS dynamic where that's already pre-negotiated, but the inherent power dynamics when someone is under the influence of psychedelics, obviously with either a space holder 
or just in a generic recreational setting as well. This is actually, I know we've been talking a lot therapeutically, but in a recreational setting, recognizing the power dynamics and the difference in power dynamics of someone who is on psychedelics or or alcohol or whatnot, and someone who isn't, who's completely sober, and the inherent power differentiation between the two there, you might make out with someone, whether sex is involved or not, and then afterwards when that person sobers up they're just like oh I feel like I was maybe taken advantage of right so really recognizing where there's power dynamics obviously in BDSM it tends to be a bit more explicit but it can be a lot more nuanced with psychedelics thank you next question I saw a hand here first thank you I was just like, oh, I'm getting picked first. And I did put my hand up, feeling a little nervous. I just wanted to say, every time I heard answers from all of you, that I wanted to clap and cheer. Angela, I, I love that you want to bring pe- advocate for peace through passion and love. Deka, is that how you pronounce it? DG? I really love that you challenged the idea of heteronormative penetrative sex. Jessica, I really resonated with your story of exploration. And Daniel, I love the, the importance that you stress on boundarying. So thank you. And the question that I have is regarding sex therapy and my confusion around that when it comes to touch and legalities. Can I go to a sex therapist in Canada and have somebody pleasure me legally? And, or maybe there's back doors to that? <laughs> to discover myself a little bit more? <laughs> So I'm a registered clinical counselor type of sex therapist, so meaning I'm a psychotherapist, that's what we call, they call us in other places in the world. And generally, the touch that's involved in my sessions would be like a hand touch and what we call a, uh, like a, I forget what this is called, but it's like a hospital touch where you put your one hand on top of someone else's hand because they can easily just like pull away. And that's probably the safest kind of psychotherapeutic touch that we can offer in like a psychedelic guiding sort of context. Otherwise, we offer hugs if clients want to hug or if it feels like very therapeutic to give them a hug. Like if they're in a moment where they're just like just releasing all of this childhood trauma around their mother who had been this super mean person their entire like and it's it might be the right moment to be like, I see you, I feel you, I'm here with you. Like, come with me. I'm going to take you out of this scary place in your mind and offering them a hug in that moment, right? So that's sort of like the extent, like shoulder touches, but we don't do, we absolutely do not do sexual touch. But I'm a clinical counselor, so. So one thing I will just mention is, you know, I'm also an RCC. We, we don't do sexual touch. And... I also think that there's a point I want to emphasize, which is there's this move in psychedelic psychotherapy to s- that the therapist should not touch at all. And I just personally think that's profoundly unethical. That there is a necessity for appropriate touch, safe touch, bound, like attuned touch in the psychedelic space. And I am really scared for the potential of us telling psych psychedelic therapists, they should not touch their clients in any way during the psychedelic session. That just seems like when someone is asking for connection and touch, 
and they've maybe been starved of that in their childhood, and they're in their childhood again, and I tell them, I'm sorry, as your psychedelic facilitator, I cannot offer you touch. That seems just inhumane. And so there are ways of doing that well, using pillows, you know, making sure that having another facilitator in the room, doing things to make this safe. But when we remove touch from psychedelic psychotherapy, I think it's, yeah, we're doing a huge disservice to clients. So, yeah, I have the same kinds of limitations, although, you know, you can do pushing exercises, you can do some touch, but I don't, I don't get to do the kinds of interesting touch that my colleagues do. And that's just, I think there's a spectrum of, when we talk about sex therapy, we could talk about the spectrum, and, you know, I'm sure these people will, will help us to navigate that. Next on the spectrum, somatic sex and intimacy coaching. So again, like I mentioned earlier, I'm currently not practicing with psychedelics with clients. So I'm only really talking to, from a a sober perspective in my practice, as a somatic experiential intimacy coach, I do share erotic touch and intimacy above clothing, fully clothed, not on genitals though. And that allows my clients to experience what it feels like to really receive like a touch that feels good to them. And I can also feel the kind of touch they give and can coach them through that as well. So there are, you know, obviously I go past RCC guidelines to allow my clients to really feel the experience of intimacy with myself. And it does create a container. We touched, Ange touched on about the mothering piece we tend to go through a bit of a, I did this, but I think it's more that, progress process. Process where if there's a lot of mothering that's happening first or reparenting that I have to do with the client, that goes first and the intimate touch doesn't come within that time frame. They're, they're, there's a reparenting that happens. They come to the place of empowerment and then we go into like the coupling process, if you will, where we reintroduce or just full full stop, introduce erotic energy or, or touch in that system. Obviously, ZG's going to talk more, obviously, to what he does, but sexological body workers as well are also an opportunity to work with someone where they will actually work with your genitals. But you will talk more to that. Yes, I want to start out by saying that sex work is the oldest profession. Mm-hmm. And... This has been happening for a long time that people come to find sexuality with a guide who is generous with their body, with their presence, with their touch, with their whole ability to hold. And so it's out there, but of course it's, it's on the margins. And so, no, you can definitely find it. There are many underground practitioners, such as myself, and yeah, of all genders, I can hook you up to some resources I have, uh, but otherwise, yeah, it's out there. You just have to dig around a little bit. Thank you. Um, next question, just over here. Okay. I noticed no one was like mentioning LSD, and I'd also like to know about combining different substances, for example, like a hippie flip, mushrooms and LSD, because I can say that's a profound experience in and of itself. So combining that with you know, sexual interactions can be something that can elevate the experience for sure. So I'd like to hear uh, your thoughts on it. Yeah, LSD with 2CB is one I've tried. It's 
Very nice. Um, and 3MMC works really well with mushrooms. It's a nice... 3MMC can be a little bit... make you manic. Like I said, it has this very, like, oh my god, I'm having profound realizations, like, one after the other. And so it's like the mushrooms help to kind of ground that into the body. And 5-MeO is really great with ketamine. I think you mentioned that as well. And so it can kind of counter the the flying into outer space with the ketamine is very tranquilizing and soft and so it can be a nice way to combine those yeah i also think low dose lsd can be really profound in the same way that low dose other substances can i will just mention i mean we've talked a lot about substances and you know many of these substances are not widely available (laughs) so be be really careful about that, and we do have, we live in a city where there is free drug testing. Like, if you're gonna go and get substances, please, like, take the time. If you're serious enough to be here and learning about psychedelics, then be serious enough with your body to go and get your drugs tested, because you can. It's free. Like, just do it. Please, 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 please do it. Yeah, you can order drug test kits on the internet and get it delivered to your door, or you can go to get your drugs tested on Hastings Street. Awesome. We'll probably do one or two more questions just over here in the front. What are your thoughts about cannabis as an aphrodisiac? Because that hasn't been mentioned, and it's very legal. (laughs) Cannabis is a vasodilator, (laughs) is all I'm aware of. The blood goes to all the right places. Yes, yes, yes. I'll touch on two things around cannabis. First thing, obviously things like THC-infused lubes and suppositories. Foria are a really great company that help, you know, the likes of vaginismus and, and, and whatnot, cannabis being a, a, you know, relaxing experience. And only from the personal experience, the, <laughs> some of my friends are going to know this story. The first time I tried a THC edible, I just had a guy over and I was feeling a desire for something in the back of my throat. I made popcorn and started shoving that at the back of my throat and choking myself because I wanted that feeling again and it was so arousing I started masturbating and I started laughing to myself is this how I'm gonna die like (laughs) pants around my ankles (laughs) popcorn everywhere and choked to death right so cannabis can certainly put you in that mood as well yeah wow (laughs) Yeah, no, I just think the, the power of this substance, of, in particular around self-pleasure, I just want to really, really advocate for the possibilities for, I just think self-pleasure is so important, learning about your body, and this is a really safe, legal substance that we can use as a tool if you are needing help with embodiment. If you're finding yourself stuck up in your head, there is profound, yeah, profound healing in this medicine as well. So thank you so much for bringing it up. If I didn't mention it, it was a terrible, terrible (laughs) oversight. Beautiful. Thank you. We'll do one last question just in the back here. Hi. Thank you very much for that. So you mentioned that an elegant mind clinic, you provide couples therapy and ketamine-assisted therapy, right? Do you combine both? Is that something that people do? And what are the benefits? 
So we're at the preliminary stages of looking at how effective this is for couples therapy and ketamine for combining those two things together. There's a few clinics out in the East Coast who are doing this, and they're doing it in retreat style. So they're putting 16 couples together and giving them low doses of a lozenge that they swish around in their mouth and they spit out. And so the idea is that they kind of journey together and they're welcome to kind of like cuddle and connect and things like that. And the results are that it's positive. People are getting something out of it and we're not quite sure what it is yet. So I'm very open to having a conversation with any couples in the audience here who are curious about exploring ketamine-assisted psychotherapy in terms of how it can help their relationship or sexual connection because the overall answer is like it seems to be helping but we're not sure how. The only thing I want to say is just like the reason we're talking about it is because it's legal, right? And that's a powerful tool but like we do know that people have been using MDMA since the 70s. This is one of the original things that this substance was being used for, was for couples work. And it's profound. And it's not legal. Okay, maybe one more. <laughs> Just in the back there. <laughs> that was fast. <laughs> yes, bonus. Thank you, everyone, for all the beautiful shares. I had one question. I'm actually working with 5MEO, and I got curious because last night I've actually lived an experience. We did a, a, a retreat. We had an experience of doing 5MEO encephalated and have a DJ and have some music. And I noticed something really interesting for me anyways. It was a feeling of like MDMA, and I had like a primal arousal that came along with it. So on that note, I got really curious about it, and I, hearing you guys talk about probably working with a 5-MEO, do you have any, like, maybe suggestions or tips for people who want to play with, the, with this in the in this setting, with 5-MEO? Yeah, uh, to add to the list of ones that we can play with because they are legal, 5-MEO DMT is neither legal or illegal. It's actually scheduled as a food substance in Canada. So this is why it's become quite popular in, in Canada. I've had clients fly in from Germany and to receive this as a treatment. And it seems to, initially, it seems to, what it does is that it, it burns through whatever's in the way of experiencing arousal. So it could be trauma, it could be embodiment issues, and if that's all clear and good, then you'll experience pleasure in your body. I don't know what your question was. Yeah, the encephalated, it makes it drawn out, a little bit more drawn out than if you were to smoke it. Quite a lot. Yeah, like 40, you get 40 minutes of it. Daniel, do you have more to say about this? Sure. Yeah. No, I think your point about encephalation and 5-MeO is right on. Low doses. I just think with 5-MeO DMT, although encephalation makes it like more manageable, this is a crazy intense medicine, and you don't know what you're going to get. So I love the idea of having a DJ there. And I just wonder about, like, do you have, how do you have enough facilitators for all the crazy varieties of experience that people could have on 5-MEO because it's so, it's so potent? So, I, yeah, I've definitely seen sexual stuff coming up with it, 100%, 100%. And you're right, an encephalated experience, especially when paired with ketamine, could be more manageable and people could be invited into a sexual thing. I've never done that with clients. Specifically worked with five 
to try and work with pleasure. I think that's a really, really interesting idea, but I haven't done it myself. Yeah, I just wanted to say that you're reminding me that FIBMO-DMT is one of those substances that are, are, that are vomit inducers. You don't know if you or someone else having that amount of FIBMO-DMT is going to cause them to vomit, and then you're going to have to kind of caretake this person for the rest of the evening, and it's not going to be very sexy. <laughs> so, hence on what you like. I, I would say, interestingly enough, although I, I have no real like a, attachment to ejaculatory orgasm, but uh, it's one of the substances that I've noticed that it, it's, it certainly doesn't get in the way of ejaculation, like MDMA or, or even one of the challenges I find personally with ejaculation is, is that my energy after dips quite a bit. And so the nice thing about 5-MEO is that it's not such a long experience. So if you include ejaculation as part of that ritual for yourself, you know, you're kind of coming out of it when you're coming on the, down the other side. Whereas if you do it in the middle of an LSD trip, it's like, okay, well, here I am now. It's all gone. <laughs> you know, but anyways, the point being, it's a great thing to experience. And of course, on 5, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful experience to have. So try it out. Awesome. And that's going to be it for Q&A. So one more time, a quick round of applause for our amazing speakers. They'll be sticking around a little bit after if you want to um, talk to them, ask them a couple more questions. And just to close, we wanted to once again thank those Osmosis for sponsoring this evening. Uh, as well as Damien and all of the volunteers. So let's just give a quick round of applause to all of those people one more time. And we just wanted to give all of the speakers a little gift here. Yeah, and then the last thing that we have is a surprise winner of a package. So over here, the list. We need to find out who it was. <laughs> But someone here won something. <laughs> Amazing. Do we have a Lois Gabrin? There she is. Woo! Amazing. And thank you, each and every one of you, for joining us. You know, of course, we couldn't have made uh, this happen without all of you. And thank you to the ones that are listening to us in the ethereal realm of the internet as well. Uh, once again, we're the Flying Sage. If you're interested in any other events that we do, uh, please come chat to me or Gabby after the event. Thank you. <laughs>